0: Today's readings from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses one through six. Then God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the inequity of parent to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for the sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. O God, still our hearts, that we might feel your spirit among us. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we're starting a new series today that we're calling Don't Just Survive, Thrive, and it feels Particularly appropriate after the week that we've all had, never mind that many of us, your pastors included, have spent more time yelling at our children to put on their flippin' shoes than we would like to admit. The dog days of summer always seem to end abruptly. And before you know it, the long hot days have given way to shopping and bedtimes and traffic. Whether you have kids or not, it's almost no matter. Because the world seems like it's spinning faster and faster. Sometimes spins so fast that it feels like we're going to fly off with so much to do, so many responsibilities, appointments to keep track of, work responsibilities to keep straight, relationships to nurture. And I'll be honest, there are days when it just feels like it's all too much. There was a day this past winter. I was in my office here at the church and the wheels came off early that day. Do you know what I mean? You ever had a day like that? Somebody came in to talk to me and somebody else came in and I had some things I had to deal with and there was a problem with the facilities and I didn't even look up until it was 11 o'clock and had a chance to breathe and all I could think about was how stressed out and distracted I was until I remembered that I had been so stressed out and distracted that I missed an appointment with my therapist. (laughs) So I texted him and apologized. He wrote me back and told me to remember to breathe, which was helpful. And I spent the rest of that day stressed out about the fact that I missed the one thing that was supposed to help me stay less stressed. I guess... I'm just saying, I bet I'm not the only one who feels overwhelmed. Am I? No. <laughs> Many of us feel overcommitted. I hear from a lot of people who said that they used to have free time until they retired. And even if you don't find yourself in the daily grind of thing after thing after thing, it can be overwhelming to turn on the TV or open the news these days. It used to be, you know, we didn't know right out of the gate what was happening all around the world in every second right away, but here we are. I've been thinking a lot about how to be the church in a day and age when there's so much news coming in so fast. Our bodies and our minds weren't designed to take in this much information this quickly. We came into our own as a species during a time when what was happening in the next cave over was groundbreaking news. You couple that, the speed of the news, with the rise in white nationalism, severing uh, divisions in our politics, the decline of the Christian imperative to see every person as God's beloved child. There are days, most days if I'm honest, where it feels like too much. In other words, there are days, more than I'd like to admit, where it feels like I'm just surviving. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're just surviving? Do you ever feel dragged through life? Busy with responsibility from the moment that you wake up until you are finally able to drag yourself into the bed, assuming you haven't fallen asleep in the kid's twin bed after she refused to park herself there without you. Maybe last night, for instance. I got to tell you, as a pastor, I'm hearing more and more of this from people. People just don't seem to have the time we used to have. You see it in declining church attendance across the country. You see it in couples who neglect to pay attention to one another and find themselves in broken marriages. You see it in exhausted students and overworked parents. I could go on and on. And as a result, it moves pretty quickly from a how question, like how do we do it, to a why question. Why even bother at all? Not to put a too fine a point on it, but We're in a time in the life of the culture, I think, when people are so busy, they don't even have time to wonder about God, let alone take concrete steps to follow God. I worry we don't have time even to wonder about God. As a pastor, that hurts my heart. It breaks my heart. I can think of few things as sad, as being too busy to wonder about God. But what's more, I worry that we're turning into a society without the ability to imagine. And imagination is a lot of what plays into our faith. I worry that we're turning from a wondering people into a wandering people without anywhere in particular to go. It's a recipe, friends, for disaster. Not just for the church, but for the world. Now the good news, I guess this is good news, is that this is not a new predicament. I don't mean that the ancient Israelites had to constantly keep up with their Twitter feed or that their bosses called at midnight to demand a TPS report. I just mean the wandering thing is one of the central stories of scripture. God shows up to bless God's people because that's what God does and the people enjoy the blessing and then they take it for granted. And then they wander, seemingly unaware that God has been right in front of them, above them, behind them, all around, all along. It's one of the central arcs in the Bible. And so it was for the ancient Israelites as they received the very same scripture that you heard read this morning from the Ten Commandments. The story of ancient Israel's exile and deliverance and wandering and promised land is, honest to God, one of the most epic stories ever told. And it's been told a lot. You may know the story. The Israelites were in exile in Egypt for hundreds of years. Slaves, really. Oppressed people. Forced to do the bidding of their Egyptian masters. And every time I hear stories from prosperity gospel preachers about how God blesses the people God loves the most with material things, I think of the story of the ancient Israelites. Because if God's chosen people had to spend hundreds of years as slaves, it makes you wonder how you contort the actual Bible into something that promises material wealth, if only you will believe. The Israelites were enslaved for centuries. And then something miraculous happened. God delivered them. Just like that, God delivered them from Egypt, through the leadership of Moses, across the Red Sea, all the way to Mount Sinai, where Moses climbed the mountain and received the Ten Commandments and the law directly from God, which must have been some meeting, you know? And God carves it all on the, the stone tablets, And Moses picks them up. They must have been huge. And he makes his way down the mountain very carefully. You know, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. And when he gets to the base of the mountain, he realizes that everything's the same as it ever was. Same old story. The people had been blessed by deliverance. They'd been delivered. And then they started to take it for granted. So while they were waiting for Moses to come down the mountain... While Moses was stuck in the most important business meeting in the history of the world, the people decided to hedge their bets. And they collected all of the gold jewelry that all of them had, and they melted them down, and they made a golden calf to worship. And Moses does what I would do, which is to say he took the stone tablets he was holding in his hand with the word of God written upon them, and he threw them at the ground where they must have broken into a million pieces. The only difference between what Moses did and what I would have done is that Moses neglected to throw them at anybody. (laughs) So he goes back up the mountain again, and Moses meets with God again, And he gets the stone tablets again, and he lugs them down again, and considering the ancient Israelites' predilection to forget to put God first, considering the problem all of us have with that same issue, considering the problem that I seem to have with that same issue, it seems entirely appropriate that the Ten Commandments begin this way. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. It's an appropriate way to begin. I think it's an obvious way to begin. I mean, you won't be surprised to hear me say that God is ultimate. That God comes first. I bet there's a good chance that you'd say you believe it too, but... There's a difference between you and me saying something, which all in all is pretty easy, and actually really believing it, which requires a complete reorientation of your life, which may be the most difficult thing a person can possibly do. And I want you to hear me say, like, if you're not there yet, if you aren't really sure you want to go all in, please hear me say, you are welcome in this place. We don't pretend to have it all together. The church is not a a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And there are people, some here I bet, who are just sort of exploring Christianity. Sort of wondering about God. I celebrate that. We need more of that. I'd love to talk more with you about what that means. And I hope that you will stick around. But if you've been here for a minute, if you want to be a Christian in your heart, if you want to move from surviving to thriving, I don't think the church does you any favors when we say that it's easy. Simple, maybe, but not easy. Because the business of putting God first means that that, there's going to be a really long list of all of the other things that aren't first. That list includes me. It includes you. You. If we want to obey the commandment to not put any gods before the God whose love we see made manifest in Jesus, we got to recognize that we make gods out of all sorts of things. Money, power, respectability, the corner office, keeping up with the neighbors, our political preferences, even our children, if we are not careful. This month, in this series, we're going to talk about what it means to put God first. For the life of faith has never been supposed to be about survival. It's always, it's always about being true to the image of God, the very image of God in whom you are made. All the self-help books in the world won't help you unless... You were willing to be intentional with your commitments, with your priorities. Commitments to God, to family, to loving your neighbor, even when it's really hard. In other words, of course, you've got to put, you put first things first. So I wonder, what are you committing to this year? It's the beginning of a school year. That's as good a time as any to rethink, to be thinking about what it is we're committed to, each of us. It's kind of a way to ask: how is it that you're putting first things first? I would encourage you to talk about that question with your friends and your family, with one another. This is the perfect time to reevaluate and prioritize. Because if you're waiting for the world to get easier, you're going to be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for the church to have it all together, you may well be waiting even longer. We got people of all stripes here at Decatur First. It's one of the things I love about this place. And while we stand ready to help you go deeper, we can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. That's not how it works. You can look at the sad state of American Christianity to know that to be true i got to be honest, when I have conversations with my non-Christian friends about what they think about the church, I don't like what I hear. What's more, I don't recognize what I hear as the church that I know and love. And so for all of my complaining about people being so busy that they forget to wonder about God, maybe, maybe it's not that we don't imagine Maybe it's that we aren't attracted to Christianity as it is so often portrayed by those with a vested interest in holding on to power, in upholding patriarchy, in upholding white supremacy, in saying, don't worry about the injustices of the world, just live your best life now. To me, it sounds an awful lot like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And that's not worth giving your life to, is it? I think it's a cheap imitation of religion. Something that smells like religion, but isn't. I mean, I'm almost done, but I want you to know that I'm on this diet, this terrible, awful diet, where I can have very few carbohydrates. And so I went to the health food store the other day, and I bought this loaf of bread I don't know if you can't see me there, like exaggerated air quotes around the word bread. And I took it home and I opened it. It looked like bread. And I pulled it out of the bag and it smelled like bread. And then I tasted it. And let me tell you, I don't know what that was, but it was not bread. Friends, I don't think God wants something like our devotion. I don't think God wants something that sort of smells like our love. The very first of the commandments reminds us that what God wants from each of us, each of us, is our ultimate devotion. It is to come first before everything else if it is truly to be devotion. And while it's hard, And while it is true that there is too much in the world to fit into a single day and you're going to have to make some choices, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. The good news is that the life of faith, properly rooted, properly loving God and one another, is as the theologian Howard Thurman says, the riddle of life and the story of the passing of our days. I'm just saying, you could do worse than that. Dear God, let it be. Amen.